0: Meekness and, and majesty in, in one. You know, gathering in the, the presence of God with, with palm branches and chaos and whispers all around. You know, just a, a perfect picture of that Palm Sunday and the very life of Jesus. Dur- during the this, this season of, of preparation for this holy week, we've been uh, walking uh, through a passage in Matthew, just sort of hanging there, where Jesus said, you know, Come unto me, all you are troubled and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so d- today, I want to look and see if, if Jesus, how Jesus applied that rest in his own life. And how we can learn from him, continue to, to worship him, and then apply it in our own life. Because Jesus in the midst of Palm Sunday is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. They're all right in, in front of him. And yet he's able to maintain that sense of rest, staying grounded and centered in the Father. You know, you, you see it in, in life where where people reach highs of highs and it destroys them. Right? You know, like over half of the lottery winners in our country uh, that have won over a million dollars, they now say they wish they'd never won because it ruined their life. And and we see stories all the time of entertainers and athletes who are bankrupt or committed suicide. You you, you think, well, they're the highest of highs. Shouldn't that mean that they just flourish? Well, no, it doesn't. The highest of highs can be destructive. And certainly the, the lowest of lows... As we, we've talked about in the last couple of weeks of how stress and worry can cause physical illness. And, and when, uh, I saw a study this week uh, put out by um, Duke University that, that followed students for like 30 years. And if, if in those students, that, that sample group, if you were bullied as a child or in the workplace, you were five to six times more likely... To have some kind of psychiatric disorder around anxiety or suicidal thoughts. I mean, just to say that the the highest of highs and the lowest of lows have powerful impact on robbing us of the rest that Jesus says is ours if we come to Him. So let's learn from Him as we see how He enters into this, this holy week. And how he enters in with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, yet keeps rest by being centered in the Father. Let's pray together. Gracious God, uh, we ask that your Spirit would indeed open our minds, soften our hearts, and release our hands and feet to hear you, to understand you, to love you, and to, to follow after you. Speak to us in this time. We need to hear from you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our passage um, is in John chapter 12. Um, We'll start with verse 20. And it's... uh, um, it's immediately following what I read at the beginning of the service. It's immediately following his triumphal entry. He has, he has come into the crowd and um, come in to, to Jerusalem. And the people have been waving their palm branches and calling him Hosanna. You know, God save us. God saves us. Which is what Hosanna means. And he's, they're calling him the, the King of Kings. And so right after that is where basically we pick up in the Gospel of John. It's found on 875 in your pew Bible or you can... Follow along on the screen. And we're just going to walk through um, these uh, immediate events afterwards. Uh, John chapter 12, starting with verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Right, let's just stop there for a minute. You know, there's sort of a um, discontinuity here, isn't there? But don't you, you find this in Jesus You know, where some events happen and then Jesus seems to like go off and talk about something else that's totally unrelated. I mean, did you catch that in his? I mean, Philip, there's some Greek folks that are there. And this is big news for Jesus. I mean, this is high political season for Jesus. I mean, he's come in. And the, the people have surrounded. They've thrown palm branches. They've called him king. They've called him God. This is now the time. Jesus, now you can ascend to the throne. And then, lo and behold, now the Greeks are on board. So they got the Jews. They got the, might as well have the Republicans and the Democrats. Both falling down at his feet. I mean, that's what is going on right there. I mean, Jesus, this is your time. Take the throne, baby. Hit, hit it while the iron's hot. Because you can take it and become King of kings and Lord of lords. And then Jesus turns around and talks about seeds dying in the ground. What's what's happening here? He's he's giving us a key point of how how we rest in the midst of troubled times. That Jesus stays centered. That He is living for the Father at all costs. It is not about His own survival. It's not about His own success. Or He redefines success. And it's not about power. It's not about pleasure. It's not about making the most money or reaching the highest rung in the ladder. It is about obeying the Word of the Father. It is about, as we'll see, glorifying the name of the Father. And Jesus stays centered on that. I mean, it uses some pretty strong language here. I mean, so you, you see how they're connected. So the crowd's ready to make him king, and Jesus is saying, No, that's not my plan. That's not the Father's plan. That's not the purpose the Father has for me. My purpose is to come and die. And, and he knows that's ahead of him. And, then he, and he uses that, that illustration of the seed. Unless a seed falls into the ground, into the darkness, <laughs> in, in, into the depth of that, and dies and is transformed and then comes back as a tree bearing fruit. Unless a tree dies, unless a seed dies, it's never going to become the tree. Never going to bear the fruit of heavenly success, of God's plan, of the, the plan of the Father. What does it take, though, I mean, here's Jesus. I mean, try to capture the temptation that's before Him. The crowd is ready to tell Him, Take the throne. It's yours. But the Father is telling Him, It's time to go to the cross. You are mine. So the temptation is great there. But Jesus, being centered on the Father, has faith. In order to be a seed, ready to die, it takes faith. Father, you're telling me it's time to to go to the cross. It's time to die. I'm going to trust that you know what you're talking about. I'm going to trust that, that even though the crowd's telling me one thing, there's stuff inside of me telling me something else, I'm going to trust you know what you're talking about, and so I'm ready to die. I'm ready to be a seed that's falling in the ground for you because you know what is best. You are faithful. Jesus has been spending His life, His human life, developing that faith and trust. He's been been developing that faith and trust by obeying the Father in the little things and seeing the Father's faithfulness and reflecting on that faithfulness. The way, one of the ways that we then, as Jesus followers, build faith is by acts of obedience that then lead to reflection. That we look back and say, Wow, look, God knew what He was talking about. That I, I obeyed what the Father told me to do, and now I look back and see His faithfulness. I've shared this story with you before, um, at least once. And, uh, um, but I think it, it's one of those stories for me. It ha- it's my own life, so it's a personal illustration. But it's one that is just one of those moments like that, where I just look back, even today, it's been 30 years, and I look back and say, man, God, you're smart. <laughs> you're just wise. And it has to do about sex. Not an applicable subject today in uh, our world but uh, the, my girlfriend and I, in college, you know, we had not had um, sexual intercourse. We, we'd been taught, we understood, this is God's design. You know, God's design is for a man and a woman to fall in love and then commit themselves to one another in marriage and then to move in with each other and then to have sex and then to have children. That, that, that's God's design. And, you know, and it wasn't sort of a hot... Hotly, uh, it was hotly debated, but it wasn't a, a favorite, um, a, a favorite way to live on the college campus that I was a part of, even in the dark ages thirty years ago. And I know that it's certainly not the case today. Matter of fact, I was with a, a teenager last week, and I was saying, "You know, this is God's design," and my, that teenager laughed at me. Said, "What? Really?" Like yeah, that's what God's design is. Well, my my, my girlfriend at, at, and at that time we we had understood that, but we were headed down the other path. We we were headed down our own wisdom instead of God's wisdom, and God got a hold of us. And uh, through some teachings, through some conversation, through uh, we just agreed to one another that we were just going to hold hands from now on. We'd done more than that. And I still remember vividly. I was driving north on I-85. I'd been at an interview. this was my junior year in college. Been at an interview in uh, in Atlanta, and was driving up 85. And was as I was driving forward, somewhere in the around the South Carolina North Carolina border, yeah, I just started thinking about I'm headed home. I'd been reflecting on the interview. You know how you do that—beat yourself up over things you should have said, and remember all the great answers you didn't say then. But, about that, but at that time, I said, well, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to go see my girlfriend and tell her all that happened. You know, to, to, to share what had, what had been going on. And, and for, for me, as a junior in college, or maybe I was a senior, I was a senior in college. And, I, you know, I, I was, I'm a male senior in college. You know, that was sort of a new thought for me. I wanted to be with her because I wanted to share my life with her. And for no other reason. Because the physical intimacy wasn't an option. Because it, it, we had said, no, we're, we're not going down that path anymore. It was an aha. A time of reflection. A time of deepening trust and faith with my own soul to say, wow, God, you know what you're talking about. Because... If, I hadn't, if we hadn't done that, if you hadn't given us the grace to make that decision, then the physical, the sexual would have clouded the emotional and the spiritual and the deeper parts of our relationship with one another. I propose to you that ways that we grow in trust is that we step out in faith. We step out in obedience, whether it's around sexuality, whether it's around money, whether it's around job or relationships or anger or asking forgiveness or giving forgiveness, whatever, loving our enemy. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that Jesus lays before us, um, pathways of living that do not go with the ways of the world, that take steps of faith and obedience and to see God's faithfulness revealed. And that's what builds faith. As we obey and reflect and see god 's faithfulness, Jesus has been doing that his whole life. so's been building and developing in him. One little side note, just to, to know that that girlfriend eventually became my wife, and now 27 years of faithful. Um, uh, marriage are a, really a testimony to the glory of God and just how smart He is. Because I shudder to think if I'd gone down my own wisdom, what a destructive habits would have developed. All right, so Jesus demonstrates His faith by saying, I, I give it all, I give my whole life to You, God. I'm centered on You, not on me. Uh, let's look at verse 27 then. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to indicate the kind of death he was going to die. All right, so, so notice here, we, we see this, this faith that Jesus is saying, it's, it's not my life, my life belongs to the Father. And now he's saying, but my soul is troubled. I mean, he... He's, he's feeling uh, the angst of the moment. I mean, so it's not that he's just sort of floating through, but not feeling the pain and the anxiety. That's that's there. As a matter of fact, the, the same word that is used here to describe Jesus being troubled is the same word he uses when he's troubled when he sees Judas, when Judas is about to betray him. And. But notice, here's the second thing. Faith is the first. We must build faith and trust into the Father. Well, now here we see in Jesus a familiarity with the Father. I mean, he's troubled, and what's his knee-jerk reaction? It's to to pray. It's to talk to the Father. You know, he's troubled inside, and his first thing is, Okay, God... And and interesting that he tells us what he prays. Should I pray? Should I pray for protection? Should, Should I pray that you'll get me out of this mess? He says, no. I don't pray. didn't pray first and foremost for protection, that he would get out of this. He prayed that he would glorify the Father. See, again, you see, it's, it's not about, illustration to the point before, it's, it's not about Jesus. It's not about his own protection. It's not about his own uh, fulfillment. It is about him fulfilling the way of the Father. And then we're told there's a voice from heaven saying, I have and I will. And that the people around, they, they don't get it. But Jesus does. And Jesus seems to you know, this is, this is for you. This isn't for me. And I think what he's telling us, what he's telling them, as he's telling us, as he'll say a little, even a little more later on at the end of the passage, he's saying you, you need to be developing a familiarity with the Father. That your knee jerk reaction is the same as, as Jesus, that as he has developed a familiarity with the Father so that he knows the Father in the midst Troubled times. And how do we do that? How do we grow in our familiarity with the Father? We, we, we spend time, like we're doing now, together in His Word. And we spend time, as we do now, in prayer, crying out to God. We see this in Jesus' life throughout. I mean, we're told He's, he's always going to the synagogue. He's always gathering where the, the Torah, where the Word is, is read. He's, he's also spending time with the Father. He's regularly heading up to a mountain retreat or towards the beach for a retreat. He's hanging out with the Father. We catch Him in prayer and in the Word. Even as a child, He was hanging out at the synagogue. That, that familiarity with the Father is something we, we develop and that He has developed for this most crucial Time. It's one of the, the reasons that we uh, spent uh, this season, I meant to bring this up with me, With uh, just with morning devotion, afternoon devotions, and evening devotions. If you didn't get this uh, little handout, there's still some more right out here, and you can just start with, with Holy Week. Where we open every morning with a psalm. We read a passage of Jesus' words in the afternoon and close the day the evening, the day, and in prayer where we're growing familiar with the voice of the Father so that when He speaks, we do understand and we do hear. And finally, then uh, in verse 34, the, the crowd answers back to Him. As Jesus is saying, you know, this is where I'm going. This is my death. This is where I need to go. The crowd then responds, No, it's not. You're, you're not right. Verse 34, The crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So they understood what he was saying, that he was calling himself the Messiah, he was calling himself the Son of Man, and that he had to be lifted up and die on a cross They understood that. They're just disagreeing with him, straight uh, to him. And Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. This is another, one of those major discontinuities, isn't it? I mean, don't, I was sort of expecting Jesus to get in an argument with him. Well, no, you don't understand in Leviticus 17, verse 23. This is what Moses is meaning and why. But he didn't. Didn't, didn't waste his time with that. And said, he said, no. Listen, what you need, you you need to walk in the light. You need to walk with me. You need relationship with me. This is this is as we've been saying throughout this series. This isn't about a, a simple decision to make. This is a lifestyle to develop. This is a, a relationship to pursue. This is our our lifelong journey to grow in faith, to grow in familiarity, to live fully in the light. That is a lifelong journey of one who seeks to follow after Jesus, one who wants to experience his rest, one who's going to yoke himself with Jesus as an apprentice for life. It, It means that it's our lifelong pursuit. That's why Jesus focuses His attention here with those that are following Him. The way to rest in this is not to find the right answer. The way to rest in this is to rest in me, is to walk in the light. And by walking in the light, He simply means to be walking in obedience, to be walking in Him, to be walking in the ways that He's teaching us. And and just as our faith is developed, as we act in obedience and reflect on God's faithfulness. And just as familiarity is developed as as we spend time together in God's Word and and in prayer and in conversation with God that we we learn to to hear the Master's voice, we we walk fully in the light when we do it with one another. When When we do that in community. When we're committed to one another to the same thing, where we have relationships with each other, where we challenge and encourage and support and help one another. there's a great illustration to that in Hot Off the Press," the, the, the story of how this um, families in this particular church surrounded the Den family, who are in uh, Vietnam refugees run out of Vietnam, followers of Jesus, and, and they, they, to walk in the light in the midst of terribly troubling times, they needed community around them. And families from this church stood up and said, okay, come live in my house. Let's, we'll walk with you during this time to walk fully in the light. What we need is one another. And actually, next Sunday, the Den family will be here in order to share their thanks of how... This particular church was the community of faith that helped them walk fully in the light in the midst of very difficult times. Jesus has called us to come unto Him, to find the rest that only He can give. He showed us the way. That we would grow in in familiarity with the Father. Maybe for some of you, that's what the Spirit has brought home to you. You're not spending time with God. You're you're not taking time of of praying with Him regularly, of of spending time in His Word and and, then reading it. Do it. And watch God's faithfulness. Watch as your voice, as your ear is trained more and more to the voice of the Father. And you take this. You know, we've got one. You don't have to. This was made for Lent, but you can restart it. You can start it over again. There's studies and groups that gather every Sunday morning we have. And as, as we're, we'll, we're about to start a Brave series where we start small groups, jump into that. That's not only familiarity, but it's also fully living in the light as we do so with one another. There's a small group that will form for those six weeks. It'll just be starting a couple weeks. Again, more information and hot off the press of ways just to grow in familiarity and fully walking in the light and participating in those. those. Those are there so that we rest in Christ. But maybe... Day, what the, the, the Spirit has impressed upon you, there's a particular act of obedience. Again, it could be around all kinds of things, whatever it is, but you know what it is. You know, that, that the Spirit is, you, there's some, something you need to stop doing, you need to start doing, uh, something that you, somebody you need, to, you need to forgive or somebody you need to confess to. And that the, the Spirit is laying that on you as an opportunity for you to take a step in faith and see God's faithfulness and wisdom and then respond and reflect and have your faith and trust deepen and grow. Jesus has taught us the way and He shows us the way to live in rest even in the midst of turmoil. The turmoil of the highs or the turmoil of the lows. So we develop faith in the Father, familiarity with His voice, and fully live in His light, in the power of His Holy Spirit, into the glory of His name. Amen.